A famous sermon was preached uh, on a snowy Sunday in, I think it's Gloucester, is that right, England? Colchester, England, uh, 1849. Um, the preacher's unknown. Um, it was, as I said, snowing, and so the minister got snowed up, and he couldn't make it in uh, for the service. And after a few awkward moments, uh, very skinny, poorly attired, uh, apparently an uneducated tradesman ascended into the pulpit. Uh, there was a young teenage visitor in that service that morning, and he wrote this about the preacher. Now it is well that preachers be instructed, but this man was very ignorant. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. So the substitute preacher got up, he read the text. Some of you will be familiar with it. Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. That's the King James Version. And then he proceeded to preach himself out in the next two minutes. Um, this is how he followed up the text. He said, look! Now look and don't take a great deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. He says, well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool in England, yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a, a lot of money to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. The text says, look unto me. Ah, he said, but many of you are looking to yourselves. He said, but it ain't no use looking there. And then he followed it up with this. Look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend into heaven. Look unto me, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me. <laughs> he was all preached out. That's all he had. But he, he looked down and he saw the young teenage visitor in the congregation, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Young man, look to Jesus. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look. And that young man, years later, he wrote this about that Sunday morning. I'd been waiting for 50 things to do. But when I heard the word look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. It wasn't the best sermon that young man had ever heard, but it was the sermon God used to convert that young man. He was 15 years old. One year later, he would preach his first sermon. Four years later, he'd be pastoring one of the largest churches in London. It is estimated that during his 30 eight years of ministry, he preached to 10 million people. He became known as the Prince of Preachers. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Actually, I read his commentary on the Psalms uh, this week in preparation for 
the sermon. The preacher, that poor, poorly attired, not so articulate tradesman, he had no idea what God was going to do with his words that morning. And of course, I'm going to make a quick application for you. You have no idea what God's going to do with your words either when you're out in the world and you're sharing the gospel. You have no idea what God's going to do. Parenthetically, it's, it's one of the things that Karen and I muse about, we think about as we think about stepping into eternity. When God shows us all the stuff He did through our meager efforts of preaching and teaching, that uneducated tradesman, he had no idea that the, one of the greatest preachers in the history of the church would be converted under his preaching and that there would be incalculable fruit, spiritual fruit from that sermon that day. Close parentheses on that. So you might be saying, well, Jim, that's a great story. I really enjoyed the whole Spurgeon story. That's a good story. What's it got to do with Psalm 24? In my view, it has everything to do with Psalm 24. What does God say in Isaiah 45.22? What is the key word? What was the key word in the, the tradesman's sermon? Anybody remember? What was the key word? Look. Look unto me and be ye saved. You know how that verse ends? For I'm a Savior. I am God and there is no other. It's what Psalm 24 is all about. the substitute preacher exhorted Spurgeon to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You have nothing to do but look to Jesus. In Psalm 24, it's a very short and compelling look at Jesus Christ. I'm sure that some of you have already noticed that Psalm 24 follows Psalm 23. Uh, I made a similar astounding statement last week. But there's a reason for this, as I said earlier, if you read Psalm 23, you realize David has utter freedom and confidence to, to walk through this life with no fear and even to face death with no fear. So how does a man get to that place? How does a man get to the place where he can actually live out the 23rd Psalm? Well, all you have to do is read the 24th Psalm and you realize David's looking at Jesus Christ. That's how you live the 23rd Psalm because you're looking at the God of the 24th Psalm. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. David is looking at the great Creator God, verses 1 and 2. The great Redeemer God, verses 3 through 6. And the warrior King of glory, verses 7 through 10. David can do the 23rd Psalm, because he knows he will never lack any good thing because his God is able to keep every promise. He can live the 23rd Psalm because he knows God will guide him in the right paths that God has chosen for him. He can live the 23rd Psalm because he knows God will be with him in 
the valley of the shadow of death. He knows God's beauty and love, as we said last week, will chase after him every day of his life. David is utterly confident in life and death. He can live huge, as we've been saying the last several weeks. He can live huge and he can die well because his God is God. That's what Psalm 24 is all about. That uneducated tradesman, he exhorted Charles Spurgeon to look at Jesus. We talked about it two weeks ago in Psalm 16. You remember, how, you remember what David said? You know, David said, I can, I can live huge and die well because... I have set the Lord continually before me because He is at my right hand. I will never be shaken. This is how Christians live. You know? I mean, you can be a church member without looking at God. That's easy. The biggest risk many church members ever take is, they just, is the drive to church. But you can't be a Christian... You can't be a disciple without looking at Jesus Christ and being in awe, as we've been talking about, full of wonder, awestruck wonder. Of course I can be a disciple. Of course I can obey the Lord, even when it's hard. Of course I can. He's the Creator. He's the Redeemer. He's the King of glory. Amen? Try to stop me, as I often like to say. Try to stop me from obeying the Lord. I can do all things through Him through Christ Jesus, who strengthens me. Verses 1, verses 2, a great reminder that our God is the Creator God. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it, for He has founded it upon the seas. He has established it upon the rivers. We've said it a hundred times from this pulpit. Jesus Christ is God and nobody else is. Colossians 1.16 tells us that all things have been created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. John 1.3 tells us that all things came into being by Jesus Christ. Romans 11.36 tells us that for from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. Jesus Christ is the Creator God. If those verses, those three, three verses I shared with you, if they, are, if they are true, and of course they are, the other thing we've said a hundred times from this pulpit is true. Human life is all about God. Your life is all about God. I know that many of you, if not most of you, think it's mostly about you. If you have a biblical perspective, you understand it's about God. Human life is all about God. And you will only understand life and do life in a way that pleases God when that is the forefront of your mind. My life is about Jesus Christ. It's always about Jesus Christ. Every day is about Jesus Christ. Every relationship is about Jesus Christ. My job's about Jesus Christ. My kids are about Jesus Christ. It's about Christ, beloved. It's about the Lord Jesus. You, your soul, your life, your body, your sexuality, your singleness, your marriage, your kids, your career, your money, your hobbies, your plans, your dreams, your trials, your pains, your sicknesses, and even your death are all meant to be for the glory of God. You are ultimately not about you. 
You are ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ, your Creator, and if you know Him, your Redeemer. It is about Him. This is what mankind has always resented, hated, and rebelled against. You know, Satan wanted to make it all about him. If you go read Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, you'll see his words there. And of course, Satan fed that same lie to mankind, and we bought into it. Genesis chapter 3. Although it is self evidently true that if God created the cosmos <coughs> and everything and everyone in it, it's His, right? This is the assertion of, of the first two verses here. The earth is the Lord's. It's His. That includes, <coughs> well, He says it. <coughs> Those who dwell in it. That includes you. You belong to Him even if you don't love Him, even if you refuse to worship Him, even if you do not bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. He owns you in a proprietary sense. He designed you. He created you. You are part of His intellectual software in the world. He owns you. You wear His trademark even if you don't love Him. You are His property. You know, I'm always amazed at the arrogance of mankind. Just unapologetic arrogance. Not only to think that life is all about them, but to in turn ignore God and even worse, curse and blaspheme God. You know, we were... We were Nothing so exciting as an ape. We were disassembled particles of dust. And He turned us into a human being. I'm always amazed at the arrogance of man. I love how C.S. Lewis satires this in uh, the Screwtape Letters. Some of you have read this book. Uh, The Screwtape Letters are letters from from Uncle Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood. And he's tutoring Wormwood on how to ensure that the patient he's been assigned to, that being a human being somewhere in England, is damned. So this is his job. This is Wormwood's job. Screwtape writes to Wormwood. This sense of ownership among humans is always to be encouraged. Humans are always putting up claims to ownership which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell. And we must keep it going. And all the time, the joke is that the word mine in its fully possessive sense cannot be uttered by a human being about anything at all. We say a lot in here. You don't own anything. It's all God's. Screwtape continues. The humans will find out in the end to whom their time, their souls, and their bodies belong. Certainly not to them. I hope you're hearing me, beloved. I love how Spurgeon says it. He says of man and all that man thinks he owns, he says man is but a mere leaseholder of the most precarious sort, liable to be instantaneously ejected, right? (laughs) All that we think we own, it can be gone in an instant. If God doesn't give us that next heartbeat, if God doesn't give us that next brainwave, 
which it's all contingent upon the good pleasure of, of God. Verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Verse 2 expounds on that verse by underscoring God's creative genius and power. Genesis 1, 9 tells us, God called the dry land out from among the waters. Psalm 136.6 tells us God spread out the land above the waters. 2 Peter 3.5 tells us God created the land out of the water and by water. Let me just read Psalm 104.6-9 for you. God, You covered the earth with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains, and at Your rebuke they fled. At the sound of Your thunder they hurried away. The mountains rose. The valley sank down to the place which You established for them. You set a boundary that the waters may not pass over so that they will not return to cover the earth. This is a picture of God's omnipotent genius as He brings forth the land out from among the waters. Jesus Christ is the Creator God. And as I say so often in this place, He not only effortlessly speaks 400 plus billion galaxies into existence, He upholds those galaxies by the word of His power. Hebrews 1, 3. And as Job 26, 7 says, <clears throat> this great God stretches out the north over empty space and He hangs the earth on nothing. In creation and providence, God has gone public with His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. Some of you will recognize that quote. It's one of my favorite quotes uh, from John Piper. I'll read it to you again. In creation and providence, God has gone public with His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. And if you just read through the Scriptures, you realize that all creation is in awe of this God, this, this Creator God. Job 3.7, the, the angels shout for joy when God calls all matter into existence. The floods have lifted up their voice, Psalm 93.3. The fields exalt. The, the trees sing for joy, Psalm 96.11 and 12. The seas roar. The rivers clap. The mountains sing, Psalm 98.7 and 8. Beloved, the glory of the Creator God is evident, Romans chapter 1. You are without excuse. If you think it's about you, if I think it's about me, I am without excuse. I can see the greatness of the Creator God. Not only everywhere in the created order, but within myself. I, I think about what my body can do sometimes and I end up on my face. If you don't end up on your face sometimes thinking about it, you're not thinking very deeply about it. For you are fearfully and wonderfully made by an awesome Creator God. There's a lot I could say, but I'll go on. David can do the 23rd Psalm. He can live huge and die well. His God is the Creator. He's not afraid of anything. A God who can effortlessly speak 400 plus billion galaxies into existence? I'm His, I'm his adopted son? <laughs> what am I afraid of? Right? Verse 3 is a question. Verse 4 is the answer. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in His holy place? Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn 
deceitfully. So, what's the, que- what's the answer to the question? Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in the holy place? There's only one answer. There's only one man who can do it. Who is the man who can do it? It's the God-man, Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ can do that. You and I can't do that. We cannot do it. We know what the Bible teaches us about the heart of man. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart of man is more deceitful than all else and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You guys know that great text in Mark 7, 20 and 23 where Jesus talks about all that proceeds out of the heart of man. Evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, all deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And I just want to take a minute and I just want to read a few verses to you from Romans 3, 10 and 18. You guys know this famous verse, I would suspect. It buttresses verses 3 and 4 here from Psalm 24. God says, There are none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, as a pastor, I've told you this many times, my most frequently asked question, why is the world screwed up? All you've got to do is read the first three chapters of Romans. You can start with chapter 3 of Genesis if you like. The world's screwed up because we're screwed up. You can't lay that at God's feet. You know, God put us in paradise, right? <laughs> as I recall. And we are the ones who rebelled against Him. So the biblical answer to, to the question here in verse 3 is John 3.13. You guys may remember. No one has ascended into heaven, but He who has descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. The good news is, Jesus not only died for His people, He lived for His people. Amen? You know this, right? He not only died for you, He lived for you. He lived with clean hands and a pure heart. He kept the law perfectly. He was perfectly righteous. And by His righteousness, we are made righteous through faith in Him. It's what David is saying in verse 5. He shall receive this one in Christ. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. By faith, we receive right standing before God. What happened when Abraham believed the Lord? Anybody remember Genesis 15.6? What happened? God said, well, if you'll go do some religious stuff and a bunch of works, yeah, I'll justify you. No. The text says, Abraham believed and God reckoned it to him as righteous." We can ascend into the hill of the Lord. We can stand in the holy place because of Jesus Christ. Amen? His righteousness is ours. He kept the law for us. We are righteous positionally in Christ. 
because of Him. Romans 4, 5, But to the one who believes in Jesus, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. God counts it to you as righteousness. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know why there's not 10,000 people trying to get in here and hear this. You know? I do know why, but Romans 3. So only in Christ can we ascend into the hill of the Lord and only in Christ may we stand in God's holy place by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if we are truly in Christ, if this righteousness has been imputed to us, if we have really experienced justification, we will be experiencing sanctification. Amen? That process will be going on. We're positionally clean in Christ, but the Holy Spirit will be making us practically clean as we cooperate with Him in our own sanctification. If God has done that heart transplant in us, we will begin to bear spiritual fruit. Biblical Christianity is always inside out. It's just always inside out. It's not outside in. It's always inside out. That's what's being talked about here. So we have received this blessing from the Lord. We are clean and pure in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, This is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek Thy face, even Jacob. It could be rendered, such are the people who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now, if you're paying close attention, you just heard me read Romans 3. 11, which says there are none who seek for God. So who is this? Who are these God-seekers? Well, I don't have time to fully develop it. But most of you already know the answer. The clear biblical answer is they are the God-sought. The God-seekers are the God-sought. It's the only thing the Bible ever says God is seeking it's sinners who would be worshipers. <laughs> you know, I am who's infinitely full, infinitely satisfied, infinitely content, and sufficient in all things. He seeks one thing. Sinners who would become His worshipers. I like to say it like this. I know, that, I know this is going to go over your head, but just you know, listen to it. If you want it, I'll, I'll email it to you. Just let me know. The seeking God commands His non-seeking people to seek Him, and when His non-seeking people finally start to seek Him, they discover that He was seeking them all along. Isn't that beautiful? I know when we first come to Christ, many of us think, well, it was me. I, I did it. I wanted it. I wanted Him. I found Him. I discovered Him. If we actually read our Bibles with only superficial understanding, we know that's not true. We know that He has come for us. Continuing, and the seeking God seeks... He's now seeking people to give them what He originally designed them to seek, and that is Himself. A little fun with the words. David can do the 23rd Psalm because he knows the Redeemer. He knows Him. He looks at Jesus. It's this lifelong look at Jesus. And He's free. He's free to live huge and die well as we have been saying. Okay, you tell me. I'm going to read the last few verses here and you tell me the third reason David can do the 23rd Psalm, okay? 
verses 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift up and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. What's the third reason in Psalm 24 that David can actually live out Psalm 23? What is it? Someone tell me. We've seen that he's the great Creator God. He's the great Redeemer God. What else did we learn about him in these last three or four verses? He's the King. He's the King of glory. There's no one beside Him. There's no one above Him. There's no one under Him. He's the King of glory. There's no one like Him. He stands alone. He's the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. He's the King of glory. David says, you think I'm going to live that small? <laughs> you think I'm going to be afraid in the world? You think I'm going to be timid? You think I'm going to let sin invade my life and defeat me? You think I'm going to live small as a Christian? No way. He's looking at the Creator. He's looking at the Redeemer. He's looking at the King. <clears throat> it's a great insult to the cosmos creating, sin defeating, death conquering, and hell crushing warrior shepherd God. to claim allegiance to Him and then live like the world. It's an insult to His great name, beloved. It's an insult to His great name. If we live our Christianity small, it's nothing less than an unspoken confession that we really don't believe any of this at all. We really don't believe it at all. We just don't really believe it. And I love these, these last four verses here. These are these poetic and prophetic verses. Are, we see the, 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 the gates of heaven are opening for the incarnate, crucified, buried, resurrected, victorious, and ascended Jesus Christ. It's the holy course of worship. Myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of heavenly beings, angels, archangels, cherubim, seraphim, the four living creatures around the throne, they sing out to each other and they answer each other, Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Amen. This is a picture of the angels receiving the conquering King back into glory. Two weeks ago, we talked about it as we looked at Psalm 16. Our Lord is a warrior, majestic in power, shattering His enemies, Exodus 15. Our God is in our midst, the victorious warriors, Ephaniah 3. Our Christ is our shield and fortress, our strength, our stronghold, our deliverer. Many Psalms that we talked about two weeks ago. And I love how David says it in 1 Chronicles 29. As the people brought their offerings, David says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory 
and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Beloved, you can do everything God's called you to do <laughs> because He is who He is. I know we like to make excuses, but what I want to say to you is, you think you've got an excuse for not obeying the Lord? You just go spend some serious time in Psalm 24, and I dare you to come back to me with an excuse. <laughs> if, if I'm in dialogue with you, there is no excuse. If we actually believe what he says about himself, you know what the Apostle Paul told the Philippians, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that skinny, poorly attired, uneducated tradesman, he preached a great sermon that snowy morning in December of 1849 in England. His text was Isaiah 45.22, Look unto Me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And he followed up his text like this. Look unto me, Jesus says. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me. Amen? How many poor sinners do we have in here tonight? I don't know. Maybe all of you guys are really righteous, but I know who I am. I know how to look in the mirror. I know I'm a poor sinner. I know I have no hope apart from King Jesus, apart from Savior Jesus. I know I have no hope. And under that exhortation, Charles Spurgeon is saved. It's how every true Christian is saved looking at Jesus. It's how every true Christian lives, uh, uh, lives huge and dies well. It's by looking at Jesus. Psalm 24 tells us Jesus is the Creator God. He's the Redeemer God. He is the King of eternity. It's why David talks like he talks in Psalm 23. Because he's looking at this God. I was meditating on this yesterday afternoon and I was listening to one of my songs. It's, it's uh, one of my favorites, Chris Tomlin. Uh, he has a song, Whom Shall I Fear? You guys probably know this song. He sings, I know who goes before me. <laughs> I know who stands behind me. The one who reigns forever, He's my friend. Amen? <laughs> the God of angel armies is always by my side. Amen? This is why David can do Psalm 23. He knows this about Jesus. And the angelic hosts sing, Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let's pray together. What a great God. <laughs> what a great God.
What a great God. We confess, O oh Lord, that You are awesome in the heavens. You are awesome in the cosmos. You are awesome in the earth. You are awesome in the sanctuary. You are awesome in our hearts. Lord, I pray we would live it. I pray we would live like we really believe what You say about Yourself. I pray we would live it huge. For the glory of Your Son. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Let's close with, uh, of course, who is the King of Glory? Let's close with that song.